Come on you, right? Come on you. I, I like that. That was good. I appreciate that. Um, but good morning, everyone. Everybody's, how's everybody doing out there today? Good. It's a sunny day. Uh, it's a beautiful day. Another beautiful day to be here in the park. Um, and again, sunny. Uh, I'm not going to wear these sunglasses the whole time. I will uh, take these off. Uh, I do have some stitches that I was trying to cover up, but no worries. Uh, it was not because of an altercation, uh, either with someone uh, or with anything in the woods either, which has happened to me before, but um, I just had a spot removed, and so they stitched me up, and so I have these for another 11 days, uh, so it looks pretty good, right? Is that, yeah. not bad? Okay. All right. Um, just putting that out there, but... Uh, in any case, it is uh, just a beautiful day, a great day to be together. As Steve mentioned, September is here. Uh, don't know how that happened. Um, I feel like every summer gets faster and faster, and at the end of it, I'm like, where did the summer go? But it feels like this summer especially went by uh, quickly. I know uh, with the end of summer and the beginning of fall brings with it lots of transitions. Uh, Steve mentioned one about Football starting up, which didn't get a big reaction, uh, but I think I got one that's going to give a bigger reaction, uh, that being the start of school. Oh, okay. Did not go the way I had planned that to go, but um, amen. Some exciting things there, maybe, uh, perhaps. Um, okay, another one uh, that I think will, will bring some excitement. With the fall comes... Fall apples, amen, and some fall, okay, I got some claps for that one, amen, a little, little bit better, um, but it is a good time as we think about transitioning into a new season to think about what opportunities come alongside of those transitions, and I like thinking about the fall and fall fruit like apples because it is a good time for us to think about our lives spiritually and the fruit that we should be able to work produce in our spiritual lives. With transitions and new things starting, it's a good time for us to ask ourselves questions like, where are we spiritually? Where do we want to be spiritually? Who do we want to be and how do we become those things? Always a good time to talk about those things and think about those things, but I want us to think about those things this morning. And in doing so, uh, we're going to take a look at Psalm 1. Um, I uh, preached on Psalm 1 uh, some time ago. It's one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, but in particular, one of my favorite sections of the Bible. Uh, some verses in there that I just love. I found myself meditating on these uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I found it to be very fruitful in my life, which I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but Psalm 1 helps us to answer uh, or gives direction to some of the questions that I was talking about before. Uh, in Psalm 1, it helps us to see and think about things that we should avoid in our lives or things we need to disengage from. It also helps us to see things that we should be engaging with, and it helps us to, to see a vision for what our lives can be like in God. And so we're going to talk about those things this morning. So we'll begin in Psalm 1, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to go through this section by section, make a few points, 
and that'll be our time together this morning. Amen? All right, Psalm 1, here it comes. Verse 1, blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, can also be translated as mockers. So let's, let's stop there, uh, but that is where we'll begin. So the first thing I'll say is that Psalm 1 presents us with an image of Jesus. This is the blessed person's life. Another way to think about that is the good life. When we look at the blessed one or the blessed person, we can think about, well, this is what the good, good person's life is like. And in order to live the good life, again, the good life, not a good life, but the good life, the blessed person makes some tough choices when it comes to the way they live their lives. In particular, when it comes to how to engage or disengage with evil. It says, first, they don't walk in the path of sinners. Second, they don't stand in the path of, uh, or sorry, first, they don't walk in the path of the wicked. Second, they don't stand in the path of sinners. Third, they don't sit in the seat of scoffers or mockers. So a couple ways that we can think about this. One is we can see this first section as the blessed person or the one who's living the good life has nothing to do with any type of evil. They don't walk, stand, or sit with the ways of the evil, no matter how you describe it. Wicked, sinners, scoffers, mockers. Nothing to do with the ways of evil. A second way we can think about this, which is very much related, is that we can see this as a progression of states of deterioration. So the blessed person who disengages with these things doesn't go from walking in the ways of the wicked, so some movement there, progressing to or deteriorating into um, standing, and then the final stage of being stuck. You're sitting there in the ways of the scoffers or mockers. And evil or sin is like that, isn't it? It's subtle. It comes into our lives in ways that we don't necessarily realize. And then over time, as we continue to engage in those things, we find ourselves stuck. Again, it creeps in very subtly and deteriorates our lives. And before we know it, we're stuck. And we can ask ourselves, how did we get here? How did we find ourselves in this place? And so it really begs the question, what is the, the evil that we're tempted with? What is the evil that we see around us in our lives or in our culture today? And so I want to talk about some subtle ways that evil manifests itself, the ways that sinners can walk or the ways that uh, the wicked can engage in. And so evil can, again, look like a lot of different things, but one place where this was highlighted for me recently was in a new book called Dechurching. And so in the book Dechurching, uh, these authors, these researchers, look at churches broadly, and they, through that research, found some typical ways that people are disengaging from church or leaving the church. And so I'm going to read a quote here from uh, an article in The Atlantic that was about this book. So it says, but Davis and Graham, so the authors, 
also find that a much larger share of those who have left the church have done so for more banal reasons. The book suggests that the, the defining problem driving out most people who leave is just how American life works in the 21st century. And, and here it is. Contemporary America simply isn't set up to promote mutuality, care, or common life. So living in, in community. Rather, it is designed to maximize individual accomplishment as defined by professional and financial success. That's what we are driven towards. And that's what we see in Western society in particular. It goes on to say such a system leaves precious little time or energy for forms of community that, that don't contribute to one's own professional life or as one ages the professional prospects of one's children. Then they mention this idea of workism, uh, which can be thought of as careerism. This just drive to center our lives around work or our professional careers. Workism reigns in America, and because of it, community in America, religious community included, is a math problem that doesn't add up. It's a math problem that doesn't add up. And so this, this type of existing can creep into our lives if we're not careful, right? And we have to ask ourselves, is workism, is careerism, uh, is individualism or other isms that are related to those isms or self-fulfillment pulling us away from God and from being with one another? Is that creeping into our lives and leading to this progression of deterioration in our spiritual lives? And I'll just say this, even if we are here today physically or here virtually, we might actually still be emotionally at work. Okay, we might be here physically or virtually, but emotionally, we might be focused on something else entirely. And I think we see this in another cultural trend, and it, it has to do with marriages. I think this way of existing, this focus on the self, manifests itself in our marriages. And so in an article on the website, Everyday Health, they discuss a theory as to why this new trend of later divorce, so they call it gray divorce, so uh, divorcing later in life uh, around ages uh, in the 50s and 60s, um, they, they, they talk about a, a reason why that's happening. So this is their theory. A good marriage is now defined by questions such as, does this marriage make me happier as a person? And is my marriage contributing to my self-fulfillment? Says Brown, this is quoted from the article. If the answer is no, then divorce may be viewed as an acceptable solution. And so the, the problem here, and I think, again, the things that we need to consider is that, are we asking ourselves questions like, how is this thing contributing to my self-fulfillment? How is this benefiting me? And, and that's not in and of itself a, a terrible question, but it can't be the only question or it can't be the main question. Other questions that I think are more important are things like, how am I contributing to my community? How am I contributing to my marriage? How am I making my spouse 
or the people around me better in their lives. You see, this self-focus, in my view, and the view of other psychologists, may be contributing to the mental health epidemic, not only among young people, but among many people in Western society. It's not the only contribution, but it's a main contributor, in my view, and again, in, in the views of other psychologists. And so again, I, I'm bringing this up because we need to think about how these things creep into our lives and lead to this progression of deterioration into now I'm stuck. Now I'm not just walking with the wicked. Now I'm not just standing with, with, with those that are, are evil, but now I'm stuck. I'm sitting with the scoffers and the mockers. Now I know Steve last week talked about habits. And this is very much related uh, to what I'm talking about today. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, where are we in this progression of bad or evil habits? Am I just starting out? Am I walking? Have I deteriorated into something deeper standing? Or am I really struggling and sitting in this bad or evil habit? Where am I uh, in that progression? And I think one thing that, you know, I, I think related to these verses that we need to think about, a, a good question to ask ourselves is, what company are we keeping? Who are we surrounding ourselves with on a regular basis? You know, the, 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 the verse in Psalm 1, verse 1, sitting in the seat of scoffers can also be translated as sitting in the company of scoffers. So, again, the question is, what company are we keeping? And I think this can creep into our lives. And another question that we can ask is, what company are we keeping and what company are we avoiding? What company are we not keeping that would really help us to stay on God's path? And I'll just say a little bit about this. You know, one structure that we've put into place as a church to help us, you know, think about the company that we're keeping is life groups. You know, the idea with life groups is that we're, we're structuring these things uh, and putting them in our schedules so that we can make time to keep the company of the righteous, of the people that are following God, the people that are really doing their best to be disciples of Jesus. And so my question to us as it relates to, to life group is, to what extent are we engaging with our life group? And to what extent are we engaging with our life group in ways that put us in physical contact with each other, right? I think the virtual option can be useful. It is necessary at times, but that's not the ideal situation, right? The ideal is we are in person so we can engage, uh, we can touch each other, we can see each other's expressions. I mean, this is all part of human connection, what we've been designed for. But if we're prioritizing other things, like work or individual fulfillment, these kinds of things, we're missing out. And that is a contributing factor to this progression of deterioration in our spiritual lives. And if we're on that path and we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves seated with the mockers, with the scoffers. 
And so is that where we are? You know, I, 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 I just don't think it's too much to ask for us to get together twice a month to be with each other, to help each other grow, right? I need it and we need it. I, I know I especially need it in my life. And I have been benefited greatly from, from being with my life group. Um, just this regular basis of talking. I have relationships even outside of my life group that I, people that I'm talking to and getting help from, and then I'm trying to help elevate their lives. And it's, it's not necessarily a, about the life group. You know, so maybe it's, that's just not working out for you right now. So let's talk about that. What's a better setup for you? Because the goal is to help facilitate these relationships that lead to mutual spiritual growth. And so the last thing I'll say before I continue with the, um, with the rest of the verses here in Psalm 1 is, you know, sometimes family life can consume us. And look, and I want to tread very lightly here because, you know, we're in the midst of little people in our house that, that need our attention. And I've got to focus on that. In my mind, that's my primary ministry. That is my primary ministry. And so I've got to focus on that. But I would say if family life is consuming you and taking you away from things that can really benefit you and, and benefit others, here's just a thought. Here's something to consider. As I mentioned, my life or my life group has really benefited, benefited my life in many ways. And as it relates to family life, my life group has made me a better dad. My life group has made me a better husband. And going to life group communicates a priority to my kids, which sets an example that I believe God is pleased with. Like, you know, my kids know that, hey, I'm, I'm going to meet with my life group to talk about God, my spiritual life, to help benefit other people. And I'm doing that in person because I think that's an important aspect of that. They notice these things. One child of mine, um, earlier this week, uh, I was going to, to be with the cadets at West Point. So, you know, similar to uh, a life group setup. And she said to, uh, this to me, she said, Dad... I'm glad you work at West Point and teach the cadets about God. And it really, it touched me, it moved me because I didn't know that that was something that was in her mind that she was thinking about. But it was a demonstration of a major goal for me, and that's to set a spiritual example uh, for my kids. I am not perfect in it by any means. I mean, sometimes I prioritize other things when I should be prioritizing them, but I do try to set a good example. And I think a great example that we can all set for each other is the way that we're contributing to each other's lives in whatever way that makes sense. And life groups can be one of those things. So as we, you know, focus on disengaging from the ways of the wicked, right, as the blessed person does that, it really creates space for engagement with certain things. So in verse two, so I'll continue reading here. And I know you're like, oh man, verse two, I feel like we preached the whole sermon already. I'm going to move quickly through these, through these next verses. But I spent a lot of time on that one, guys, because I feel like this is something very relevant to all of us. 
and I think very relevant to our church and where we are right now. And sometimes we need that sort of call out, right? I need that. And I appreciate brothers and sisters in my life that do that for me. And so I wanted to spend some time there, but I think that these other verses are really important to mention as well. So verse two, so the blessed person disengages from things, but they engage with something as well. In verse two, it says, but his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he or she meditates day and night. So the blessed person disengages from things, but the focus in their life, the delight that drives them, that fires them up, that gets them so excited is the ways of God. His instructions, his teaching, his law, his character, his nature, his way of being. And it delights this person so much that they can't help but thinking on it day and night. Now that doesn't leave a whole lot of time for other stuff, amen? Day and night, that's pretty much it. That's all we got. But that's, that's the blessed person's life that, and their devotion, the center of their life, their priority, their priority is the ways of God and being so closely connected with God and his nature. And I believe that, you know, God's nature can be summed up in one word. His instruction can be summed up in one word. Love. First John 4, 16. God is love. And that is a love that is a disposition that is primarily concerned about enhancing the well-being or promoting the good of others. And the lack of that really describes the lives of the wicked, uh, the, the scoffers and the sinners, right? So this, this, this sort of shift here, what they're engaging with is love. How can I promote the good in the lives of those around me? for God and the ways in which God has called me to do. So one simple question that I'll ask here is, what is your mind focused on primarily throughout the day? Where does your mind go? And sometimes, you know, we need to devote particular attention to, you know, a task or, uh, you know, a person in my life, something along those lines. But a good question to ask as it relates to, meditating on the ways of God is, where's my mind? Our attention is under our control. And sometimes we don't always recognize that or see things that way, but we always have a choice there. And so what are the disciplines and the things that I'm engaging with that help draw my attention back to God and train my attention to be on God? And so in verse three, it goes on to uh, describe this type of life that the blessed person who's disengaging from these things and engaging from or engaging with God, they will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind blows away. And when we think about flourishing plants, 
right, which is the metaphor that describes a blessed person's life, I mean, look around us. The life that is around us, one thing that you can be assured of is that they have the nourishment or the water, in this case, to help their lives thrive. And for us, as it's described here, that is the word of God, his instruction, his ways, allowing that to nourish our bodies and our lives. So we had, uh, we, we have a garden that we've planted um, towards the beginning of the summer. And we've had lots of good produce uh, from that garden. We have carrots, we have kale, we have basil, uh, we have tomatoes, and we have some delicious cherry tomatoes as well. Delicious fruit that can be yours this morning as well. If you answer correctly some questions about the Bible. So the first qualifying factor is, do you like cherry tomatoes? So if you don't, then I wouldn't raise your hand. Um, but well, you could give it to somebody else who does like cherry tomatoes. But um, I'm going to ask some questions. And if you get it right, a cherry tomato, a delicious cherry tomato is yours. So without looking, uh, based on uh, you know Psalm 1 here, which verse number in Psalm 1 describes the tree planted beside streams of water? It's not four? Three. Yes, three. Who who had their was it Marjorie? All right. Here we go. It's it's gonna get harder. So um, which psalm praises God's word and is comprised of one hundred and seventy-six verses? Scott Muscat. Psalm 119. Give it up for Scott Muscat. All right. Okay, related to Psalm 119. Which verse in Psalm 119 describes God word, God's word as a light and a lamp? Yeah, right here. Nope. Good guess. Which verse in Psalm 119? A light and a lamp. 49. Nope. 45. Nope. Remember, there's 176, so you got a lot to choose from. Who, who said that? What'd you say? 105. 105. All right. Last one related to that. Who can quote that verse? Without looking. And I'll give you some grace, you know, if it's close, then amen. Okay. I mean, I'll do it. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Mm. That's a good cherry tomato right there. But... I did that for two reasons. One is, we've got to know these things, right? I mean, we call ourselves people of the book, so we got to know it, right? So let's be in our Bibles 
learning the word, uh, memorizing the word. I mean, these are great disciplines for us to keep that focus on, on God. But I want to make a point about fruit, and then I'll wrap us up here. Fruit is a reflection of the life, the quality of the life inside the plant. But the benefit of the fruit is not for the plant. The benefit of the fruit is for others and those that get to experience that fruit. Sephora, right? That was delicious, Scott, Iris. So our lives, spiritually, exist for the benefit of others. And so as we produce fruit in our lives by engaging God, we become a light to the world, a benefit to those around us. So what fruit is God producing in your life? What fruit do you want God to produce in your life into the fall? These are some great things for us to be thinking about. And I'll just conclude here with the last couple of verses. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For, <clears throat> for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So the righteous God knows their way. And that knows is an intimate connection between God and the righteous person, between us. That's a beautiful image there or outcome of that blessed life. The wicked, the way of the wicked, it says, will perish. The wicked will not do well in the time of God's judging. And God will judge us all. Sinners will not stand in the assembly of the congregation of the righteous. And you contrast that with the beginning of the psalm, and there's an important distinction. You see, the blessed person does not, by choice, sit in the company of the scoffers, but the wicked person cannot, against their choice, stand in the assembly or the congregation or calling of the righteous. So the bottom line is, you choose. Choose God. You choose where to place your mind. Choose good. You choose to live for self or for others. Choose others. Choose love. You choose how to live your life. Choose Jesus. Amen and thank you.